Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello there, good morning everybody and welcome to episode 197 of Join Up Dots. It's going to be a good one, it's always a good one and today's guy is going to deliver big time because he is he's a man with a fascinating tale of hardship, persecution and a burning desire to create the best life he could hope for. Raised in a small fishing village in Senegal, West Africa, as a child he endured abuse, profound humiliation and the breakup of his parents at the tender age of two. Now this is of course is not what any child hopes for and he found it particularly hard to accept as he looked around at his friends who all seemed to have the family life that he would have wanted. Then later at age five, he was taken to live in a compound of more than 100 people living in extreme close proximity to each other. It was here where he quickly learned to defend himself and to develop the inner power that he needed to flourish in this unstable environment where so many people fought for survival on a daily basis. It was a hard, brutal start to his life, but one that he wouldn't allow to determine his future. He knew that he wanted a life in America, and so at the age of 21, with just a few belongings and a gallon of water, he left Senegal and amazingly managed to walk across the Sahara Desert by foot between Algeria and Libya in six arduous days. He had his dream and he wouldn't give up on it. Well, he did it and even now many years after setting foot on the continent he's pushing himself to greater and greater achievements he's the author of no excuses how to pursue a better life and lift others for a better world and his mile high momentum training platform he is about as far away from his beginnings as it is possible but what was it about the american dream that filled him with such hope from his life in africa and when he started that walk across the desert did he truly believe that he would be where he is today well let's find out as we bring on to the show to start joining up dots the one and only mr osman doy how are you osman i am wonderful david uh i am very honored to be with you today it's uh it's uh, uh noon time in denver colorado and uh i'm very glad that i'm uh, speaking to you sir well, we are glad to have you on the show because you have got a fascinating story. And I think you are the first person that I've ever spoken to that has actually walked across the Sahara Desert, which we're going to come to, obviously, because that's part of your story. But uh, I suppose the question is now uh, is, did you 
find it amazing where you are now compared to where your life started? Oh, most definitely. I uh, I was talking to some friends this morning and they were uh, telling me, man, anytime we see you, you are you have this smile, you have this spirit, you have this positive attitude. Uh, and I was just telling them, it's just, um, I found my purpose in this world. I found my calling and I've uh, rid of my excuses. I became sober from excuses for a long time and I don't want to go back to that addiction. So my life actually, uh, I live in Denver, Colorado, in a very beautiful state with my beautiful wife of uh, 12 years. And uh, I am uh, pursuing a better life and trying to lift others for a better world. You're not just pursuing, you're really going for it, aren't you? For, for, for anyone that starts in a fishing village in West Africa to where you are now, and I know it's been hardship, I know it's been endurance, perseverance and all that kind of stuff, but you have really gone for it. It's more than pursuing, isn't it? Yes, it's a more than pursuing. It's a, it's a um, kind of an internal I have within myself uh, every day. Uh, I, 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 uh, I check myself every day. I look at myself in the mirror and uh, looking uh, myself in those mirror, I always ask, what's possible? I don't focus on impossible because I lived with that impossibility mindset for the first 20 years of my life. And when I left that village, I left the impossibility behind me. So, so that's, this morning, when, when you was looking in the mirror this morning, what, what was possible for today? Did you remember what you thought? Yes, I definitely did. Uh, when, when the first thing was um, I turn around and I, I look at myself I, in the mirror, then I look at my beautiful wife and I say to myself, uh, I can do better. I can become a better husband, a better a friend, a better writer, a better teacher, a better trainer, a better philanthropist. And uh, that's just what I did. I go out there not just focusing on Usman, but what can I do to contribute? What can I do to lift somebody's life while I'm trying to lift mine? So it's a given and receiving. That's how I operate. So, so do you feel more American than African now? Or is the African core always going to be in you? Oh, when, uh, I, I, I love that question. Sometimes when I speak, uh, people would tease me and say, oh, man, you have this accent, uh, you mix your African accent and uh, the American accent and wherever else you went in your life. And I said, you know what? I have the no excuses accent and people laugh. I am just me. I am a, I am a citizen of the world. I appreciate my life in America and what America has done for me. And I also appreciate where I am from because you must always know where you're from in order to know where you're going. So I am kind of a rolling stone. And uh, I've learned for a long time that wherever you go, if you want to be part of that culture, part of that custom, part of uh, the, the reality, you must learn how to adapt, how to adjust, how to appreciate and tolerate the difference and just move on. So that's the same. In America, uh, I try to live my American dream authentically 
and I, I still, um, I, I myself, I express my inner being, I express my thoughts, I have that independency and freedom to just be Usman. So I, 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 I say to myself, I am a human being expressing my humanity through whatever I do, in my, through my writing, through my job, through my speaking, through my training. And uh, you cannot change who you are, but you can change your attitude. And do you think it's as simple as that? Do you think it is simply mindset, somebody deciding to change their situation? Yeah, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. Uh, there is a lot of contents about uh, developing, growing, and progressing. But I think you, you must be willing to learn from your mistakes, from your failures, from your circumstances, and even, and not, saying this is it. When things are tough or terrible or bad, there is always better day. The, 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 the big question is, are you willing to look for those better days? So it's, but so uh -huh. many people don't do that, do they, Osman? They, 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 they like to wallow in it. They like to be the victim. I've worked in companies for many, many years, as I'm sure that you have, and you are surrounded by misery guts, basically, as we say in the United Kingdom. People who are just there to moan and groan. So how do we get your positive attitude out to the masses, to the listeners, focused in on this conversation so they can think, yes, there's a better way of doing it. I'm not going to moan today. I'm going to go Usman's way. Yes. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's Usman's way, but I, uh, I call it, I, I've created this, 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 this work. Uh, I've, I've written some, some, uh, some thoughts about it. And one of my friends who's a PhD here in Denver, he was uh, laughing at me. He says, Usman, uh, you're, your philosophy about standing with no excuses, uh, why you, you, you think that's really what's holding people? I said, doctor, you must understand that all of us, we were born from a man and a woman. All of us, no matter what, we live good circumstances, bad circumstances. But the syndrome of the 21st century, I believe, it's not, it's not because we lack of resource or uh, opportunities and possibilities. It's just people get caught up by the syndrome of excuserism. That's how I call it, the excuserism syndrome. And once you get caught up with that syndrome, they, they tend to follow you everywhere you go. And you must stand every day you know, to fight them. And that's what's holding people down because people have this laziness. They have this procrastination. They have this, oh, I'll wait till tomorrow. And you pile up those waiting for tomorrow, then it became very heavy. Then you get caught up by that syndrome of excuserism. That's why you see a lot of people today, they are struggling, they are thriving, they are just surviving because Rather than waking up and looking for solutions and possibilities, they worry about the weather. They worry about what the president will say. They, were, they worry about uh, problems that they don't even know how they will solve it. So rather than focusing on positive energy, they put too much pressure on themselves by focusing on negative pressure and listening to the naysayers, to the dream killers, watching bad TV shows and 
that's that's why people don't see their own face when they look at the mirror. What they see is what the other people are saying about terrible events, terrible circumstances. And I've learned to realize that, you know what, man, I am going to listen to the voice inside me. Yeah, it takes a learning process. It takes a journey. It takes some sacrifice and discipline. And that discipline is what's missing, David. So if we took you right back to Senegal, to the fishing village when you grew up, you, you said quite openly at the beginning that your life was very different from the first 20 years. And in many ways, you was a su survivor of a situation that you found yourself in. And now you're somebody who's making his situation. Would that be fair? Yes, yes, I am. I am. Uh, I am very, very thankful where I am at this moment of my life. Uh, and I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I am not settling for less because I wasn't born to settle for less. And uh, when we look back my life in Senegal and where I am today in America, it's totally different. It's a different Osman. And I, I can pretty much talk to you a little, if you want, about my life in Senegal in the late 60s when I was born. Um, so so what, was what was it like? What, what was it like? Was it, was it hard? I imagine it was hard, but I come from sort of a Western civilization. So in Africa, just getting through a day, it's tough, I imagine. Yes, it was hard. And, you know, uh, I was born six, seven years after the independence of Senegal. So it was a new... Uh, independent country uh, shifting from being colonized for about 150 years and now asking their independence. That's when I was born and my parents were very young back then. Uh, you got, uh, got married and uh, trying to live their dreams over there. But for some reason, they couldn't make it together uh, and... Uh, they they separated while I was uh, one years old, and before I turned two years old, uh, they split, and my mom was already pregnant with my younger sister. So that's how this world welcomed me, because at one years old, what do you know about life? I needed a man to raise me. I needed role models. I needed somebody to guide me. So I always said I was born with adversities, because... One years old, your dad walk away from your mom and the two children and a young woman trying to raise two, one boy and a girl in those, uh, back in those days where I don't even remember if there was electricity in uh, that village. But I remember that in the first house where I spent the first five years with my great grandmother, who's my really role model, there was no rainy water. They were... There was no electricity, those type of things. That's that's how tough it was. And uh, uh, and I grew up like that till I turned five years old. Then my mom and my dad took the decision. I went to my dad to be raised by a man, and my sister stayed with my uh, with my mom and her new husband. So that's that's where my life started getting tough because for the next 15 till i turned 20 it was full of humiliation uh backbiting uh, point fingers i was beaten i was not treated well uh, in a 
compound. And, and this was, but was this by your father? Was was the abuse by your father, or was it the the people around you? The the people around me. My dad used used to beat me as well, uh, and uh, uh, my stepmother was taking it as a, as joy or something like that. So I be, I've lost my self esteem and my self confidence, and for the next fifteen years. It was just dark. I was living a very dark life. I felt all my classes, my friends calling me by name. I was just a very scary guy. I was. I had a lot of fear. I was going to bed with fear, waking up with fear. Didn't know what to do. Didn't see the light. Didn't see my future. And but I've never stopped asking to myself, what can I do? What's possible? Why me? And 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 I think that that gave me the wisdom, that gave me the strength and the courage. When I turned 20, I say to myself, look, all your friends are going to college. They have nice girlfriends. They have their parents together. And uh, you are here. Your schooling is not that solid. You don't have the skills. You don't have anything. So why are you in this world? What's really the meaning of you being here. So those type of questions, I've never shy away from asking those critical questions to myself because when you're living with situations where you don't see your way out, where you don't see uh, the light or you don't have any lift that can pull you out, you must look at that mirror and say to yourself, what's possible? But and but how did you do that, though? How, how did you ask those questions when you, as you were saying, you was in a very dark place? And, and yes. the reason I'm phrasing that question in that way is so many people who listen to this show are in a good place. They've got a job, mm-hmm. they go to work, they're in a relationship, but they want more. And when I speak to them, and I speak to them a lot on a one-to-one basis, it's the fear of losing what they've got. But you you had that, that inner fire, that inner belief. You had something that, no matter how the situation sort of could have taken it from you, it didn't, and it stayed in there. Do you think that is an amazing feat? when you look back at that small child that you were, that you still had that passion and belief and you were able to ask those critical questions when so many people wouldn't? Yes, most definitely. Um, I can tell you in that big village, there was one person, which was my great-grandmother on my mom's side. She was already very old. She was, uh, I think when I was born, she was already 90 years old. So while I was growing up, uh, when I turned five, she was 100 years old. And I used to run when they beat me, when they make me do something unethical that they didn't, you know, I am just cursed. um, You know, I get cursed. I get called by name. I would run to her. And she was very old. She couldn't walk. She couldn't see well. She couldn't do anything. But she has something special that I couldn't see from my mom and her husband or from my dad and his wife. She has this smile. She has this warm hug or love, but, but she tied that with a message. And I think her message, I, I borrow my great grandmother's spirit in order for me to stand 
Anytime I run and I came to her, she started telling me between age five, seven, when I came and complain and cry and whine and blame the world, blame my parents, blame everybody, blame the neighborhood, she would listen. But as soon as I'm done, she, look, she looks at me and says, son, I want you to man up. I say, what do you mean? She says, you got to keep it real. Now, I am like, what is that word? Keep it real. Five, six, seven years old. And I would ask her, Grandma, what is keep it real? She says, you are a very intelligent boy. I say, no, I am not. Everybody's saying I'm stupid and dumb. Everybody, every day they said, uh, I am a lost child that I will never amount to things. She says, oh, no, they are lying. You are very smart. You are very intelligent. And you will become a good man when you grow up. I say, how am I going to, how am I going to do that, Grandma? She says, just uh, keep it real. Keep it real with God. Keep it real with yourself. Keep it real with society. Keep it real with everything. Just be honest, be ethical, be gentle, be nice to people. So she was feeding me. She was putting those seeds on me. But I didn't know what she was doing. Because anytime I left my great-grandmother and I come back to the compound, that's the opposite of what she was telling me. They would be beating me again. They would be, so I was between those two worlds like a ping pong ball. But for some reason, I trusted what my great grandmother was saying. I trusted what she was trying to put inside my soul, inside my heart and my mind. Then probably when I turned 10, 12, I, I would come to her and I said, Grandmother, you've been telling me to keep it real. I try my best, but I'm getting spanked every day and I'm failing every class. I'm doing this. And she says, stop blaming the world for your setbacks and failures, Usman. I say, what do you mean? She says, you see, I am 100 years old now, more than that. I cannot see well. I am here sitting. They do everything for me. But son, I wake up every morning looking for a solution. I say, what's that? She says, we all have problems. We all have difficulties. We all have setbacks. But recognize your failure. Recognize your mistakes. Recognize your problem. Touch them. Kiss them. Hug them. But put them down and focus on solution. Then I run now with those words, looking for solution. This would take uh, the next three, four years of my life till I turned 17, I couldn't find my solution. And then I would come back and say, you've been telling me to keep it real. You've been telling me to focus on solution. I am here every day. The only thing I do is play soccer all day long, go and swim and go and fishing with my friends. Some of them are doing very well at school. I fail every class. Yadi, yadi. She says, son, just keep looking. Keep looking. Okay. Then when I turn 18, 19, 20, that's when one day I was so tired of life. I was about to give up. I remember thinking about killing myself. I was tempted to do so. But again, sometimes you have an angel somewhere. This is this old, very old lady, more than 110 years now, going to 115, staying, guiding me. I didn't know that she was just putting some seeds and one day I came to her, I said, 
I don't know what to do anymore, Grandma. I don't know. She says, oh, you do. You have a mind, you have a soul, you have a heart, and you are a gifted kid. I said, what do you want me to do? She says, oh, now you're asking the right question. Are you willing to do what it takes? When she says that, that sparkled my thinking. I say, what's that? Willing. She says, are you willing to go after what you want? Are you going to be hungry without having food but standing? Are you willing to work 24 hours a day? Are you willing? Are you willing? Then as soon as I grasped that word, I flipped around. I remember. And I said, from today on, I'm going to take back my life. Even if I have to cross borders and countries till I get to America, my dreamland. No matter what we dream, no matter what we want out of life, no matter what we want to seek out there, we must keep it real inside. We must be willing to look for the solution and the right solution, but we must be willing to take action. I'm going to play some words here, Osman, because I, I really want to get into your journey across the Sahara, which must have been just dreadful. But that moment, that moment when you knew that it was up to you, it was that moment when you had to decide on the future that you wanted and go after it. That really is fundamental to everything, isn't it? And that, that's what so many people miss. They kind of feel that the answer is just going to fall from the skies. But it's not, is it? You've got to go out and you've got to look for it. And it may not be the first cupboard that you open. It may not be the first door. But if you open enough doors and cupboards and look in enough hearts, it's highly likely that you will find it but then you've got to go after it don't you oh yes you 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 have to go after after them and uh, when I've decided to leave Senegal sincerely uh, I was 21 years old don't have the the skills don't have the solid education don't have the knowledge don't um, I, I really didn't know but I had a desire burning deep down my soul. I had a vision and I said, I will take back my life. That, that's just the, the, I will take back my life one way or another. And when I had that, I just went inside my room. I remember I grasped a backpack. I put two pairs of shirt, two pairs of jeans and one book called Le Chemin du Bonheur in French, The Way of Happiness by Dr. Victor Poche. And I've never looked back to this moment I'm speaking to you. And I can tell you pretty much today I have my life with me. Astonishing. Let's play some words that really emphasizes what we're talking about. Finding the thing that you love and taking a risk on it. This is Jim Carrey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. 
Is that is that the message that we really should get out to the world, Osman? Oh yes, most definitely, because all of us we have some type of dreams, one way or another. Um, my dream when I left Senegal at twenty one, my dream was to go to America because I've never heard much about America back then in that village. I remember I watched a movie in the early 80s called uh, Dynasty. And uh, it was very, it was very appealing to me. And uh, I think in 1981, I've, I've, I was watching TV <laughs> and they were showing a screen with some high rise building. I remember telling, asking to one of my uncle, what is this? He says, this is America. I say, what is America? I remember to these days his answer. He says, you see, that's why we say, you stupid. America is a country. It's not an object. It's a country. I said, okay, I want to go to America. He says, you stupid. How you are going to go to America? Uh, I know America have a lot of freedom. They have a lot of opportunity and it's beautiful. In that village, I didn't know what beautiful means. I didn't know what freedom means. I didn't know what opportunity means. Those are the three words I grasped. I was 14 or 15 years old. I kept those three words, America, freedom, opportunity, and business. I say, okay. This was 1981. Then in 1986, I went with one of my friends. Uh, we were playing soccer, and one day he says, let's go to my brother and ask for some money. Then we went there, and he was listening to some types of music. I'd never heard about those musics. I, I came, I say, what is this? What, what music is this? He says, oh, this is American music. Hmm. Here shows America again. And he says, they have rock and roll, they have blues, they have uh, jazz then every day I would do it on purpose just to stop by to listen to those music because Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and uh, Sting with the police, they became my hero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I would be listening to do, 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 da. I didn't know what he was saying, but I was just uh, trail. Do, 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 da, da, da. I'm like, oh my God, who are these people? They are happy and joyful. I gotta go to America. And so you set off on foot across the Sahara Desert, which is, yes. you know, people die. It's quite obviously is one of the hardest places to cross. And the fact that yes. you did it on your own with just a gallon of water and just a few belongings, that, that must have been, well, I'm, I'm supposing it was. Was that one of the most frightening things or did you just have total belief that it was the right thing to do? When I left Senegal, and uh, I, my journey started with in Mali, I was in Bamako, uh, sleeping in the street. Didn't have, uh, I, would, I, I would stay like two, three days without even uh, having the opportunity to have a shower. Uh, I had nothing, but I had my willingness, I had my faith, I had my desire and my dreams. Then I went to Ivory Coast, I stayed there for six months selling, you know, thrifty stuff in the street or whatever I could sell as long as it was uh, legal and ethical. That's what I did till I found some pocket money. And 
talking to people hey i want to go to america they're like whoa how are you going to america i don't know i'm just looking for america and one guy one day i heard him saying hey you can go to italy by crossing libya and maybe from there you can get to america hey i'm now 22 years old and i said okay let me find that way how to get to libya they say you have to cross mali and all of those places algeria uh, i traveled by car from ivory coast to mali and then uh, we went to algeria it's from algeria they said you cannot go from algeria to libya by car there is a sahara desert there's a lot of people they are losing their life and this and that but this this goes back to my willingness are you willing and i said if i have to swim the, the atlantic if i have to cross the sahara desert if i have to jump borders and mountains and whatever it will take i am willing to do so my willingness really was what took me uh, to that believe that i will cross the sahara desert by foot with my one gallon of water and i will get to libya and if i have to do something more i will do so did you ever have times when you was on that journey that you thought i've made a mistake here this is too hard it's too hot it's too cold at night i'm not going to see the end of this journey there was moment where you know i i had fear like everybody we all have fear but i needed to fight my fear or converse my fear within my faith because i was seeing dead bodies i was seeing people who couldn't walk anymore myself i was dehydrated uh, i was uh, losing uh, my strength and i remember uh, like it, if it was yesterday we were about 80 people in 1980 89 yes and uh six the six of us two 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 were about to die and i remember me and three other men we've, we've decided to stay with them either we'll die together or we'll get there by team that's that's the sahara desert have taught me to become a team player to to become uh, a person of perseverance determination never ever give up i've learned those skills while i was crossing algeria and libya in six days by foot because i knew in my heart that a lot of people were there lay down dead it could be me but for some reason i've never believed that i would be staying in that desert because in my mind my desire to see america was so deep that if i have to uh uh crawl if i have whatever it would take so that 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 was a moment when i've crossed the sahara desert and i got to libya which is another story uh that's when i knew that one way or another i will take back my life no matter how long wherever it will take that's uh, that moment have shifted because you have to go to those type of maybe events or those type of sacrifice and and you you'll appreciate life crossing the sahara desert have taught me to appreciate my life to appreciate 
people to appreciate whatever came my way. And that's where you get your smile on a daily basis. Yes, 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 yes. I woke up every day and my wife says, uh, honey, even in pain, you smile. In sadness, you smile. When you get a call, they say you've lost a relative, you smile. I say, honey, I've learned to kill my emotions because it will happen. Bad things will happen. Good things will happen. I have to manage my emotion not to let those moments to change who I am. Yes, I can celebrate my success. I can be thankful when things get bad and get back on track. But I don't let none of those to stop me pursuing my better life and looking for ways to lift other people. Because I realize that, you know what, uh, I am here for a short period of time. Uh, it can be now I am almost close to 50 years old and it's been a beautiful journey and if i have to be in this world for another 30 40 uh, i dedicate my life to serve myself and others through my books through my speaking through my philanthropic uh, uh, non-profit organization uh, through what i'm just doing with you because uh, we need one another regardless of where you are from who you are uh, how you look what you believe and that's what I believe, that's what I preach, that's what I speak about, that's what I write about, because I have been there and done that. I was in moments where I had one pen, one shirt. I have been in days where I didn't eat. I went to bed without food. I woke up uh, doing all kinds of odd jobs and, 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 and just looking for a way out. And uh, my courage, my faith, my strength, my willingness, keeping it real, focusing on my solutions and the help of other people, that's really what gets me to where I am. So I'm always trying to give back. So, so you, you land in America. Obviously, you know, I'd love to know about the Libya bit, but we're, we're going to have to skip on from that. Um, maybe get you back for another episode. But you land in America. Did you have any plans on what you were going to do when you hit America? When, when you actually got there, was it just like, right, okay, I've achieved this now. Oh, my God, I don't even know what I was planning to do when I got here. It was just the thought of getting to America? Uh from the day I left Senegal to the day I arrived to New York, it took 10 years of my life crossing borders and countries and continents. But over the journey, during those 10 years, I was educating myself about life, about uh, reality, about everything. I, I, I remember, uh, like I said, I didn't have that solid education before I left to Senegal, but I think those 10 years, I've learned so much. And when I came, when I get to America, I was uh, 30, 31 years old, yes. I just came to America with a dream. I just had a dream that I wanted to be part of America. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to make my life fulfilling one way or another. And uh, I get to America with $200 in New York. I remember meeting some people and I was just asking them, how long have you been here? What are you doing? And they were like, oh, you can have a job here, get $6 hours. You can do this, do that. And I said, no, that's not what America is about. 
just working half dollars and uh, and just be content. You must be part of America. In fact, because I didn't know much about what I was uh, going to uh, meet here, I've decided to go to Hollywood because <laughs> I thought that America was Hollywood, you know? Mm. And I, <laughs> I thought that America was Hollywood and I just wanted to play my movie. It's That's either that or Disneyland, isn't it? It's one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then in reality, uh, one of my childhood friends was living in Denver. He's the one who told me, hey, uh, come to Denver. It's a nice place. And I remember the Dynasty movie I've watched in the uh, early 80s. It was played in Denver. So when I, get, when I came to Denver, I felt in love with Denver. But still, I needed a job. I needed a place and stuff. I remember starting my first job at a grocery store. Uh, $6 hours. But one thing I've never neglected when I came to America, my first thought was, now that I made it, I must get myself educated. Yes, I have life education. I've traveled all over the world. Now I have to go to college and get my intellectual education together. That way I can confront America. So, so did you really feel like you were taking on the country, that it was up to you to, you, you'd done so much and you were probably exhausted after the 10 years of travel and hardship to get there. But once you actually landed there, you actually felt that you were confronting America. Yes, it was a new chapter. It was a new episode. It was a new uh, uh, journey. And I was not, uh, now at 31, I became more, more laid back a little, more reflect, more patient. But I was still very passionate about getting things done. And uh, I was working at that store nighttime, just content. My English was very slow back then. I was speaking English, but it was very slow because I educated myself all along through music and books and stuff. And uh, six months after I lived in the U.S., somebody pitched me about driving taxi. I've never driven a car in the U.S. I have never driven a car in Denver. I knew how to drive. And I said, no, I cannot do that. And he says, yeah, it's, a, it's a very easy. You look at the mountain, it's a west. That's how I start driving taxi. And uh, three months after I started driving taxi, I checked myself to a community college. They said, you are going to start from ESL, English, um, as a second language. I said, no problem. So I started from scratch, taking one class at a time. And uh, today I'm, a, I'm in a pro program. <laughs> I never had college education, but today I am in a program where I am about to finish my bachelor at the same time and connect to a master program. That's where my American journey started. Congratulations. I start, I start educating myself. I drive taxi night time, 10, 12 hours a day, get home, take shower, lay for two hours. I'm at school. It's been 15 years I had never stopped going to school. Do you know the thing that I find amazing by that that whole story is you start off in Senegal, you have all this, you know, upheaval, this arduous childhood, you then cross the Sahara Desert, you then spend 10 years travelling, trying to get to America, and then when somebody says to you, learn to drive a car, you say, I can't do that. 
That seems that seems amazing to me. I would have thought by that time you would have thought that you'd be able to do anything that anyone threw you threw at you. No, I I I, uh, I, I knew how to drive. I, I knew how to drive a car, but uh, I I just didn't know how the streets and the and the uh, the lights or or the blocks. Sorry, worked. That was my issues. So. I I I am I, I I came to Aurora, but I knew where I live. But how how to get from Mississippi to Colfax? I didn't know how because I've never driven a car in this country. That was my issues. And if I want to drive a taxi, I have to know the city. That was my concern. But I was willing to learn. In fact, when this guy insisted, I told him, "Can you show me?" Because I'm always open to learn. I am not a know-it-all. I am always open to learn. So when he insisted, I said, can I ride with you on my day off? And that will show me how the streets work, how the city. We went one run, one time, and I'm looking the way he was picking up people, the way he was welcoming them, and his service was not that really superstar service. And I said to myself, I can do this. Oh, yes, I can. The following day or the following week, I went to the taxi company. I remember that like if it was yesterday. I have told this lady, I want to become a taxi driver. She says, how long do you have been living here? I said, uh, six months. She says, have you ever driven a car in the city? I say, no. She says, do you know very well the city? I say, no, but I can learn, ma'am. So she says, I'm sorry, I cannot, uh, I cannot hire you because to drive a taxi in Denver, you have to live here more than a year. You have to learn, you have to know the city and this. I told her, I look at her straight eye to eye. I said, ma'am, I'm just asking for a chance. I'm not asking for handout. I sacrificed my whole life to be here in this country. I'm just asking for America to give me one person chance. I will earn the 99 one way or another. And there was another lady. She looks at her and she says, he seems like a good man. Hey, give him a chance. They hired me. I went for three days of class. I didn't know what they were saying. They talk Western East, block this, block that. But uh, I didn't know much, but I had my desire. I remember after that training, they gave me a taxi. I, I couldn't come from the company to my house. And there was no, back then, there was no cell phone or those things. I remember calling my cabbie friend and told him, hey, you have to come to take me to my house. And he started the same vocabulary. Man, you stupid. I told you Western East. I say, look, come and just take me. When I got to my house, I start questioning myself, do I want to do this? But... Uh, while I was asking those questions to myself, what are your excuses, Usman? Uh, what's holding you? Why now you made all these sacrifices to get to the U.S.? Why are you scared? Then I flipped around. There was the picture of my great-grandmother, the only thing I carry with me till this day. Like she was telling me, Usman, I am in heaven. I am in heaven watching, son. You made it. You made it. You made it. Don't stop. You made it this far. You will become the super five-star cab driver of America. 
I went out there, start picking up people, getting lost. But my attitude, the way I was treating my customers, the way I was, they were teasing my thick accent back then. I would say, look, I just want to be part of America. Uh, if I don't know, I ask, can, can you help me? I don't know very well the street. I was so willing to be going the extra mile for people and people were willing to go the extra mile for me. Believe it or not, David, 10 years later, I was nominated the best professional cab driver in the world. I, I believe it, totally. I believe there's nothing you can't do, Osman. I'm sitting here, yes. I, you know, I'll be honest, I, I've, I've had tears in my eyes a couple of times on, in this conversation. The bit with your grandmother when she was just keeping that light alive, but that story when you just looked at them in the eye and said, give me 1% chance, that, that is so powerful, isn't it? And for all the listeners yes. out there, they can get that 1%. They just have to yes. go for it. And, that, and they don't. So many people don't. And that's the, that's the crying shame, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And uh, 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 people were looking at me, I remember when people say, oh, cab driver, or I speak to some of my friends, cab drivers, and I didn't see the, the enthusiasm. I didn't see the, the wisdom or the courage because they, they've lost their self-esteem maybe or self-confidence because they thought that they were cab drivers. I remember telling them, you are not cab drivers. You are human beings and decent human beings expressing yourself through a taxi. That's all. And I will prove to you that you can take a taxi from one fare, one trip, one customer to build your American dream. From my taxi, I've written three books inside my taxi. And not just that, I was doing my college school homework into my taxi. Today, that taxi have helped me to pave my way through college. I have uh, I've created a philanthropist non-profit organization called Fleet of Love, where we are impacting people in my adopted city of Denver. We feed almost three to 200 homeless every month. And people say, how are you doing this? I said, America gave me 1% chance and I'm working through my 99%. I want to give back. It's, it's, Everything started... It's astonishing. Everything started from that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely yes. astonishing what you are, what, what you've managed to do, and obviously what you want to do. And I just get that feeling with you that the more you achieve, the bigger you want to get. You are a classic case of dream big and then dream bigger again, aren't you? Exactly. This morning, uh, one of my, uh, I, I had this lady. I was just talking to her and she says, Usman, why, uh, what, what's, what, what is your motives? Why are you so determined for things you do for the community, for things you do, encouraging people to go to school, encouraging people to develop themselves, encouraging people to do this, to do that? I, I told her the reason why I've written the book, Stand With No Excuses, and share my little story there. It's my purpose. My purpose is to pursue a better life and lift others for a better world. And my only, my only concern is to die with my dreams in my grave. That's, that's, that, if there is something I worry, I do not want to die with my dreams still in my heart. I want when my fellow men 
cross my grave and they look at my name, Usman Doi, the fisherman, they'll say, this is a man who tried his best. That's the only thing I can do. Try my best. Every day with no excuses. You are that's, doing that's so much say. more than just doing your best. You you really are. I, I, I want to play some words now, and it's the theme of the show, and it's the classic speech that Steve Jobs made back in 2005. And if anyone would have resonance to this, I think you are going to be this man. So this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. Now, those words could have been written about you, couldn't they? Uh, when I went to your, to your, to your website and, and I realized that you were a big, uh, a big fan, a big uh, uh, partner of jobs, because those people, they, they don't even look for fans. They are looking for partners, people who can keep the torch going. Before we spoke, I, I'm, I'm writing my fourth book and in the, in the, in the, in the book, this is before, before even I knew who was uh, David Rolf. I opened my book with a quote from Steve Jobs. Because Steve Jobs is a role model. He's an example. He's somebody I look up to, like many, many other people, that you know what? It's a possible. He's a role model. He's an icon. He's someone I... I, I I admire so much, and I am always trying to uh, keep up with those type of people. When you look at like uh, Steve Jobs or uh, Nelson Mandela, um, uh, my great grandmother, those are people I, I I listen to, I look up to, and uh, that's the best I can describe them. They're, they 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 the one who kept this world going, even though. We have a lot of lacking in our leadership, uh, leadership institutions today in our workplaces and schools and inner cities. But when you turn around somewhere, somehow, even including your listeners, some of them, they can keep the torch going. They can ignite excellence, prestige and good reputation. That's how powerful uh, people like uh, Steve Jobs are to me. So when you look back on his words, is there a big dot in your life? Is there at the moment when you go, yes, that is when I became who I, who I am today? Definitely. Um, I think all, do, during all my journeys, I was trying to put the dots together. And uh, everywhere I went, I grasped one dot. That's how I can describe my dots. I went to many countries many cities, many continents, and everywhere I went, I learned something. And I was creating my own personality, my, my own brand, my own, uh, my own journey, my own movie. And today, I can pretty much say 
the dots are coming together. And how? I always wanted to put my books out there and share my story and many, many other things. I always wanted to have college education. I wanted to get married. I have a beautiful wife that you couldn't imagine. Uh, I wanted to have a circle of allies and friends that the relationships is through honesty, ethics, and comprehension. Yes, you'll have sometimes some naysayers and dream killers, but that's, that's, that cannot stop us. Uh, I have my philanthropist. I always wanted to do something for my community. And uh, I, I wanted to give back. I'm writing, I, I told people every book I write, every dollar or every two dollars in my book will go back to society. I want to build the libraries. I want to build the schools. These are, these are the dots. Doing something that some day, somehow, maybe there is some kids, they are going through to the same things from, uh, um, from a broken family, from homelessness, hunger, or they don't have access to clean water. They don't have access to peace and joy and those type of things. Uh, if you want to connect the dots like Steve Jobs, that's what Steve is talking about. Because today, because of Steve and people like him, I can click the Skype and talk to you. I can click the Skype and see my mom in that village. You have to do something meaningful that tomorrow when you die, you die peacefully. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm going to play the theme tune of this show. It's the bit that we call a sermon on the Might Osman. And I'm going to send you back in time to have a one-on-one -on -one with your younger self. And if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what age would you choose and what advice would you give? Well, I'm dying to hear what you're going to say. So I'm going to play the tune. And when it fades out, you're up. This is the sermon on the mic. With the best bit of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic As I said before, that excuses, it's just like syndromes. And once you get caught up by those syndromes, they always follow you everywhere you go. You go to bed, they follow you. You go to work, they follow you. You go to uh, in the street, they're always telling you, you cannot amount anything. You cannot contribute. You cannot uh, make a difference. And I've internalized those type of syndromes during the first 20 years of my life. But I had a chance to have my great grandmother telling me, keep it real. Focus on solution. Be willing to do what it takes. Yeah, it's easy to say that, but to take action is really what matters the most. And sometimes you can fail while taking actions, but also believe that you can succeed at the same time. Because as long as you listen to the voice inside yourself, yes, listen to other people, Listen to your naysayers. Listen to your uh, dream killers. But the one you must listen the most is you, your heart. And when you, whenever you listen to your heart, you can answer the many questions that you are asking to yourself 
in a daily basis and simply by saying to yourself, what are my excuses? And you became honest and real within yourself. Or you say, why am I stuck? Why am I not moving forward? What is truly holding me? Because you must ask to yourself those three questions first. And then you say, what can I do about them? That's what I call being sober from excuses. <laughs> because excuses, uh, they are like uh, alcohol to an alcoholic. You think you can have a little and be fine. So it's a lifetime fight to, to kill your excuses and stand up and go after what you want, go after your dreams and aspirations. This is no miracle. You don't need a PhD to do this. You do not need a bachelor. You just need faith, hope, strength, determination, hard work, education, and surround yourself with the right people. That's how you can get it done. How can our audience connect with you? You know, they can uh, go to my website, Mile High Momentum Institute, uh, milehighmomentum.com, or they can uh, check a number there. There is a number on my website that can, and my email. So they can, uh, they can really keep in touch with me by uh, going to my website, milehighmomentum.com. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm building up a block, what I call the VIP, the, the, the No Excuses Movement. I am right now building a block, and that's, a, that's the No Excuses Movement. And they, 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 they can uh, connect with that block. And every week, I, w- I will be sharing with them simple tools, simple strategies and techniques that can open up the door. But remember this. You know, every day, each and every one of us have a set of key. We have the house key. We have the mailbox key. We have um, ev- the workplace keys. But most of the keys we are carrying... They don't pay money. They don't reward us. We pay money. The house, we pay the mortgage or the rent. The car, we pay the car not. But people don't go out with their life key, which, which is amazing to me. You want to read of your excuses. You want to go after your dreams. The same way you carry your set of keys, you must, set, you must carry your life keys, your, your key to success. It's called click. You must have compassion. You must listen to the right voice and to the right message. You must imagine yourself 10 years from now, five years from now, one year from now, where do I want to be? What do I want to contribute? What difference do I want to make? And then you connect with, you connect the dots. Once you connect the dots, the people, the means, the strategies, by simply using your know-how. You must have your life key. It's called click. Then that way you can click one journey, one success, one achievement at a time. Osman, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past, it's the best way to build our futures. You've been inspirational Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you have a wonderful night. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free. And we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.